again, it is great to see you this weekend. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and I, uh, I hope you had a good week. Uh, those of you that have, were on spring break uh, the week before that I was gone with, it's good to be back. And uh, I, I was in, uh, took that we did a family vacation little deal to uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, so walked. And the good thing about walking is you can eat all you want. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just telling you. And so uh, I'm going to try that a little more often. But uh, anyhow, it was good to be back. Ryan did a great job while I was gone in the second part of this series on Jesus Is. And so today I'm going to close uh, this series out. And so, um, again, I want to welcome you today to Life Church. And if you have your Bibles, if you turn me to Ma- with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to get there in just a minute. But uh, we're continuing this series, and we're talking about this weekend that Jesus is our example. And, uh, and as we go there, I want to do something I typically don't do. If I have a story or an illustration, I typically just tell it. But I'm going to read this one. And um, I, I have done this a long time ago. You might have heard this from somewhere else. But it's just a, a great illustration of, as we go into Matthew chapter 5, about uh, Jesus being our example. Miss Thompson and her school teacher, who every year would say to her students, Boys and girls, I love you all the same. I have no favorites. But of course, she wasn't being completely truthful. For teachers do have favorites. And what's worse, most teachers have students that they simply don't like. Teddy Stollard was that boy that Miss Thompson simply did not like. And for good reason. He didn't seem interested in school. He wore a deadpan, blank expression on his face. His eyes were glassy and unfocused. And when he, she spoke to Teddy, he merely shrugged his shoulders. His clothes were used. His hair was unkept. He wasn't an attractive boy and certainly wasn't likable. Whenever she marked Teddy's papers, she got a certain perverse pleasure out of putting the X next to the wrong answers. Uh, when she'd put the Fs on the top of the paper, she would do it with a certain flair. She should have known better. She had Teddy's records, uh, and she knew more about him than really what she wanted to do. Because the records read this. First grade, Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, but the home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better, but mother is seriously ill. She, he receives very little help at home. Third grade, Teddy is a good boy, but too serious. He's a slow learner, and his mother died this year. Fourth grade, Teddy is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest. At Christmas, the boys and girls in Ms. Thompson's class brought her parents, uh, uh, brought, excuse me, brought her presents and piled them on her desk and crowded around to watch her open them. Among the presents was one from Teddy Stollard. She was surprised that he had brought her a gift. Teddy's gift was wrapped in a brown paper and was held together with scotch tape. On the paper were written the simple words, For Miss Thompson from Teddy. When she opened Teddy's present, out fell a, Getty, excuse me, a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The other boys and girls began to giggle and smirk over Teddy's gifts, but Miss Thompson at least had enough sense to silence them immediately by putting on the bracelet and dotting some of the perfume on her wrist. Holding up her wrist for the other children to smell, and she said, doesn't it smell lovely? The other children, taking their cue from the teacher, readily agreed with oohs and ahs. When school was over, the other children left, but Teddy lingered behind. He slowly came over to her desk and softly said, Miss Thompson, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother, and her bracelet looks real pretty on you too. I'm glad you like my presents. When Teddy left, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her. The next day, when the children came to school, they were welcomed by a new teacher. For Miss Thompson had become a different person. 
She was no longer just a teacher, but she had become an agent of God. Committed to loving her children and doing things for them that would live on after her. She helped all the children, but especially the slow ones, especially Teddy Stollard. And by the end of the school year, Teddy showed dramatic improvement. He caught up with most of the students and was even ahead of some. Once the school year ended, Mrs. Thompson didn't hear from Teddy for a long time. Then one day, she received a note that read, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I'll be graduating second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later came another note. Dear Miss Thompson, they told me that I'll be graduating first in my class and I wanted you to be the first to know that the university has not been easy, but I've had a good four years. Love, Teddy Stollard. Another four years later, dear Mrs. Thompson, today, as of today, I am Teddy Theodore Stollard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact, and I want you to come and sit where my mother would if she were alive. You were the only family I have now for my father died last year. Love, Teddy Stollard. Miss Thompson went on to the wedding and sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. And she deserved to be there, for she had done something for Teddy that he and she would never forget. How you and I do life and how we interact with other people have a profound impact beyond ourselves. It's said by psychologists that even the most obscure people influence at least seven people in their lifetime. That there's at least seven people that says, I want to be like or am influenced by even the most unknown of people. And how we do life affects not just ourselves, but other people. And today, as we talk about this doing life and, and living life and Jesus being our example, I want us to look at two, per, two verses of Scripture starting in Matthew chapter 5, that really illustrate how Jesus did this, how he lived life. And as we go through these two scriptures, these are scriptures that you probably have read before, but you overlook. You probably have seen, but you didn't pay much attention to. Because in these two scriptures show kind of a pattern of what Jesus did. And I could show you this all throughout the Gospels. But Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, starting in verse 1 and in verse 2, encapsulate the way Jesus did life. Because Jesus didn't just do life for himself. He came to be, the Bible says, a ransom for many. He came to give himself for many. He came to do life in such a way to influence and to affect other people. And as we walk through this, I just want to ask you to ask yourself a few questions. And I'm going to kind of give you those questions of how are you doing? Not compared to me, not compared to your spouse, not compared to your friend, not compared to another person sitting next to you. But how are you doing compared to the example that Christ is for us? So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them. Now, what he begins to teach them goes from that verse, verse 3, all the way through to the end of Matthew chapter 7, verse 27. We call that the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon ever preached. I want you to note, it was pretty long-winded. It was two chapters. Thank you. I appreciate that. But we overlook these first two verses so many times. And I just want to stay here today. Because verse 1 says, And he saw the multitudes. Jesus saw the multitudes. 
Jesus always believed in people. Jesus didn't just go on about his business. He believed in people. Jesus didn't just get caught up and I got to get to the cross and I got to die for the sins of humanity. It's a pretty big portfolio if you ask me. I got to lay down my life and do all of this. He saw people. He paid attention to people. He saw the multitude. He believed in people. And he believed in people not as they were, but as they could be. Anytime he saw someone, he never saw them the way everybody else saw them. He saw them through the eyes of grace. He saw them through the eyes of love. He saw them through the eyes of redemption. He saw them as they could be. Think about it. The disciples. I mean, even the religious elect of the day, the educated, the the academic society said of these men that these are uneducated men, that that they're just basic men. But but, But the thing that made them different was that they had been with Jesus. How did they know what they know? They had been with Jesus. And so Jesus takes these fishermen, and some of these guys were, were, were intellectual, but, but very few. But even in their own, own, own workings, many of them were, were obscure individuals. It's said that, that within the rabbinical school of the, of, well, of the Jewish tradition, that by the time these men had learned a trade, they had been passed over to become a rabbi. They had been passed over to become a follower of a rabbi. So that by the time Jesus encountered Matthew, who was a tax collector, or Luke, who was a physician, or Peter, who was a fisherman, they had already learned a trade because they had every young boy wanted to become a rabbi. Every young boy wanted to become a teacher of the law. That was like the highest level in their world. That would be like being an athlete or or a top-level executive multi-bazillionaire. And in that century, in that first century context, that would have been something that those young men would have desired. And fathers wanted for their sons. It was status. It was, it was a certain level that was a certain panache that went with that. And so these men had already been overlooked by the religious establishment. They'd already been looked by the academic elite. And Jesus comes into their life as their men, as they have families, as they have jobs and vocations and says, you have something that I see in you that nobody else does. Peter and you, I will build my church and the gates will hell will not prevail against it. Me, Lord, I'm just but a fisherman. I've always dreamed of being a rabbi. I've always dreamed of being someone who would preach the good news, who would preach God's word, but I've never been. You don't understand. No, Peter, here's what you don't understand. I see in you greatness. That's what Jesus did. Every single time he did life, that's what he did with the disciples. That's what he does with you and I. Isn't it? Isn't that the thing that we love about Jesus? He doesn't see us as we are. He sees us as we can be. That's, what the, that's the reason why the Bible says in Romans, it's the love of God that draws me to repentance. It's the kindness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads me to repentance. It's not his judgment. It's not his harshness. It's his kindness, his love, his compassion. The fact that God could see me, not as I am, but as I can be. How do you see people? I mean, we're busy, right? We're motoring to work, motoring to school, going here, going there, doing this, doing that. We all have our agendas. We're spinning our wheels and making our deals. But how do you see other people? How do you encounter other people? Do you see the best in them? Do you see them as they can be? Or are you like Miss Thompson? You don't really take the time to figure out the story and to really figure out what's going on. You just kind of make some assumptions and go. As we read on in verse 1, the next thing we see is that Jesus went up the mountainside with his disciples. 
Jesus went up the mountainside with his disciples. I'm pulling some stuff out of this passage you guys didn't see. Y'all just thought, man, this is just the, the precursor of the Sermon on the Mount. Wow. Jesus always took people to a higher level. He always took them from where they were to where they could be. Not only did he believe in people and see them, but he took them to a higher level. Jesus takes these disciples, he takes these followers, he takes these people that are following him, and he takes them up the mountainside. He, he takes them up. It's, it's like this word picture. He takes them up to a higher level than where they were before. He makes them really better than what they are. And we see this all throughout the Gospels with sinners. The people that, this was one of the biggest criticisms that they had about Jesus, that he would go hang out with people that nobody else would hang out with. He would go talk to the prostitutes. He would talk to the tax collectors. He would eat dinner with them. This was the thing that they said about him, that he was a friend of sinners. Why? Because he's always taking someone to a higher level. Whether it's the woman at the well, whether, whether it's Zacchaeus, you know, he comes into town and there's such a mob that we little Zacchaeus, remember the story? He climbs up in a sycamore tree to see what he can see for the Lord he wanted to see. Uh, you may not know that song, but I'm going back to my VBS roots. But, but the deal is, is he, he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus comes into town and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree and take me to your house because tonight we're going to have dinner. Zacchaeus was a, was a rogue individual. He was a tax collector. Uh, and, and, and so uh, if you work for the IRS, I'm not trying to speak ill of you, but we all have to file the taxes by midnight on the 15th. God bless them. And, um, and, 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 but the reality is, is that in that day and age, the tax collectors would, would not only collect the taxes, but they would basically just kind of rob the people. Skim off the top, do all of that. Zacchaeus was a guy who had really jacked a lot of people. He had really messed with a lot of people. He had really done a lot of people wrong. And I know that's not grammatically correct, but you understand what I'm saying. And Jesus comes into town. The crowds are pressing in to hang out with him. And he stops and says, Zacchaeus, I want to spend the evening with you over dinner at your house. Why? Because he took him to a higher level. And at the end of the dinner, the Bible says that Zacchaeus repented of his sins, repented of his ways, and said, Lord, I'll pay back double anything I've ever owed to anybody. That's what Jesus does. The poor and the needy, he has compassion on them. He, he, he sees their plight. He sees the injustice, and he speaks to where they are, to the children. You know, even the disciples, they never got this. And, and, and the disciples, would, would the, the children would come and want to be with Jesus, and they're like, Jesus doesn't have time on his agenda. He's got too busy. He's preaching a crusade over here, and he's got a jet over here. And Jesus said, no, time out, guys. Suffer not the children. Let these come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he was always going to take whomever he was with to a higher level. If Jesus is our example, then the question for us to ask is, are we taking people to a higher level in our life? Man, I'm not Jesus. I'm not asking if you're Jesus. I'm just saying if he's our example, if Jesus is our example, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, that's what the word Christian means, to be Christ-like, to be following Jesus. If I'm following him, he's leading. He's always taking people to a higher level. What do I do with the people in my world? How do I affect the people that are around me? Am I a blessing to them? Am I a help to them? Do I have time for them? Or am I moving? If you own a company, this is a great leadership lesson. How am I dealing with the people that are in my downline? Maybe you're leading a company. How do I deal with the people that are around me? Do I take time? Do, do, do I, how do I deal with people that are around me? How do I, what do I do? Am I uplifting those people? Or do I just don't have time? 
Read on in verse 1. The Bible says he went up the mountain. He is the operative word in that phrase. He went up the mountain. Jesus himself lived on a higher level personally. He didn't just ask people to go and do what he wanted them to go and do. He led the way. He went up the mountain himself. He walked the talk. This is huge. And in the day and age in which we live in, we don't like people to tell us what to do. We want someone to show us the way. We don't like someone to sit from their ivory tower and tell us what they think we should do. We want someone to show us the way. We don't want someone to sit around and tell us what they think. We want someone to show us the way, and rightfully so. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus comes to this earth, and he doesn't just tell people the way to life. He doesn't just explain that he's the way, the truth, and the life. But he lives that very thing out. And what's interesting to me is he did it. The Bible says he was tempted and tried in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. So if he's tempted and tried in every way that I am, every way that you are, think of every temptation you deal with. Jesus had to deal with that temptation and overcome it. That's what that means. Yeah, but he was God. Yeah, but he had to be 100% man. In order to be the perfect sacrifice, he had to be touched with the feelings of our affirmities. He had to be touched with our flaws, with our weaknesses. Yet he navigated this life without sin. How did he do that? Because he personally led from a place of moral integrity. He personally led from a place that says, I'm going to live out what I'm telling these people. He personally led from a place that I'm not just going to tell them to do, but I'm going to ask them to follow that's a pretty, pretty, pretty bold statement when you think about it. Because what do you say to a world that's post-Christian that says, I don't believe in God, and I don't believe in your God, and I don't even know if there is a God? What do you say to them? You don't pull the Bible out because they don't believe in it. You don't bring them to church necessarily because they don't believe in it. Oh, it's a great talk, and it's some type of a theological debate or moral dilemma. But in essence, what do you say to them? You ever thought about that? Here's the only answer that you can do. Here's the only thing you can say. I'm not perfect. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But I hope that in the way in which I live my life, in such a way that you see a difference in me, not in perfection, but in reality, that there's something in me, which would be Jesus in me, that you would see in me. There would be a grace or a humility or, or a strength that you would say, man, that's what I want. Because we all know that without God, we all crash and burn. And he's the only one that puts the pieces together. Amen? It's all about Jesus. I mean, that's really simple. I mean, Jesus is at the center of it all. That's it. I love that song. Jesus be the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to end, there's always been one thing, and that's Jesus. There's nothing else that really matters. In my life, in your life. And that people can see that in us and say, there's something about them. And that's going to be tested. That's going to be tried. That's, your buttons are going to be pushed. Do you ever notice how you go through seasons? I mean, like, this has been one of those times for me where it's like anybody, it's like the meanest, grouchiest people that are on the planet Earth. I'm dealing with them. I'm not talking about the staff. <laughs> or you. 
I mean, I'm just like, I, the other morning I had a 7 a.m. appointment uh, over in Wauwatosa. And so I was finishing up with that appointment and I was running behind. I had to go someplace. And, and quite frankly, I, I just, I, I was going through Starbucks to get a coffee to kind of surprise, surprise, to go somewhere. And I just hit this little drive through And I, I'm, I had my window rolled down. I just placed my order and I'm waiting in line. And this guy comes out. I don't know who he was. I don't know who he thought he was. But apparently, where I had parked, unbeknownst to me, you know, I was in the bad, but I, it was unintentional, right? Uh, I am right there where you walk across to go across the parking lot to go out. And I'm listening to talk radio. I'm not paying any attention. I'm just, I'm going from point A to point B. And this guy just, and he comes up to the window. Well, my natural reaction is to smile. Because you, you don't know. Right? Now, I'm not in my kung fu stance yet. I mean, I'm just smiling. And he begins to just look at, and he said something to me, and I didn't really know what he was saying, to be honest with you, because I'm not really listening. I'm just smiling. I'm good at that. Lights are on. Nobody's home. I'm right here, bro. And I honestly, for a moment, thought, is he at my order? Which would have really ticked him off. I'm just telling you. Would have really ticked him off. And because he had an oatmeal and a, and a coffee. And I was looking for the green apron, but that wasn't on. He just had a white shirt. And then I said, uh, pardon me? And I'm smiling. And he said, if I'd be handicapped, I couldn't get across this spot. You need to move your car. I mean, he gets hostile with me. I'm like, bro, you don't know me that well. Like, you can't talk to me like that. I'm going to get out of it. No, I didn't say that. But I'm thinking that, right? I'm like, holla. Let me put this car in park, baby. Take my jack. No, I'm, I'm just, but you know. And I said, and I just looked at it, I said, I'm smart, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just kind of smiled. And, and at first, I'm like bewildered. Then I'm a little bit mad. Like, I'm going to follow, you know, I'm not, I, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm a pastor, I know, I do. I'm just saying, that whole day was like that. It was like I had cut everybody off in traffic and hadn't. It was like everybody, and I just finally said, okay, Lord, you're trying to get my attention. I'm trying to learn patience. I'm trying to. I don't know what it is, but at some point, I just need to, whatever you're trying to teach me, whatever you're trying to show me, whatever it's trying to be, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to out nice the other person. Because what's my choice? Get mad? Like, go, go rogue on them? You know what I'm saying? Like, pull out a 357? I mean, what, what are you going to do? You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is the world we live in. Crazy people do crazy stuff. No, 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 no. So... What do you do? How do you live your life? Because there's times where life doesn't treat you well. And that's just kind of a funny example, but life is not nice and, and people become hostile. And, and you're, you know, you're, you're, your um, testimony, the more public you become with that, becomes tried. Jesus walked the talk. And I'm telling you, we're, there, we live in a world where people are angry and they're tired and they're edgy. And if you come on the scene and you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, they're looking for you to make a mistake. They're looking for you to blow up. They're looking for you to mess up. And the question is, is are you going to respond like you or are you going to respond like Jesus? Are, are, are you going to get bowed up and mad? And you may feel those feelings. There's nothing wrong with that. But how are you going to act and react to that? Jesus went up the mountainside himself. He walked the talk. How is your walk? Are you following Jesus? 
Verse 1 says, and he sat down. He sat down. The whole way, he's going up the mountainside. The whole way, he's going up the mountain himself. The whole way. But he stops at a certain point and he sits down. Why? Because Jesus gave them a chance to catch up. Why is that important? Because Jesus has always been and always will be a God of second chances. Jesus is not going up the mountain so fast and so high that you can't catch up. That you can't get there. That it's unattainable. God is a God of second chances. And every time we see Jesus encountering, I don't have time today to go into all of it, but every time we see him encountering hurting people, he's a God of second chances. The woman who's found caught in adultery and they were rightfully able to stone her, he intervenes. Why? Because he's the only one that could, because he's the only one that was without sin. And according to the law, he's the only one that could have killed her. That's why he looks at her and says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. To the woman at the well, who's basically there at an awkward time of the day because she doesn't want to deal with anybody. She's, it's like going to Walmart at, in the middle of the night. Although maybe you do. Maybe there's a lot of people there. But I would think there wouldn't be as many people. Maybe there is. But people that would go at an off time because they don't want to see anybody else. They don't want to deal with anybody else. And they're going to go do their shopping. They're going to go do their business when nobody else is around because they don't have to answer questions. Because they've been caught. Because they're doing wrong stuff. And at the end of the day, Jesus is at this well, at this very awkward time where nobody else is there. She's this woman, this, 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 this woman who, who, who is basically is, is biracial in essence, and she doesn't really belong to anyone, and they're kind of a social misfit and outfit. And, and, and he looks at her, and he reads her mail, not to tear her down, but to give her life. To, to speak life into her. To give her a second chance. And I think this is important. Because I think sometimes in our Christian walk, we can keep walking so far that are we going to stop and give people second chances? That's what this church is all about. I'm going to start preaching now. That's what we're all about. We're a church that says whosoever. We're a church that says it doesn't matter. Red, yellow, black, and white, you are precious in his sight. This is a church that says, look, you don't even have to agree. This is a church that says, you don't even have to believe. We just think that the incarnational presence of Jesus will be so transcendent upon your heart that he will do a work in your life that we can't do. That's what he's done for us. We believe it's our job to, to be fishers of men, but not to be cleaners of the fish. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. We believe that it's not our place to stand up here. And the only moral authority that we have is God's word. And we declare that without exception and without, sorry, without apology. But we're not condemners. Why? Because our example, John three seventeen, For God sent not his son into the world to do what? To condemn the world. But to do what? To save it. And saving and condemnation are mutually exclusive. Condemnation is something that has to do with religion and has nothing to do with God. Saving and second chances, the grace that's only found in Jesus, that's what it's all about. And my question for you is this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, are you leaving anybody behind? Are you running so fast? Are you moving so hard? Are you doing so much? Maybe even in His name that you've forgotten the people that you've been called to serve. You've forgotten the people that you've been called to minister to. You've forgotten people. Have we as a church gotten so large or, 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 or so whatever 
that we've forgotten that our goal is to lead people upward in worship, inward in commitment, and outward in evangelism. Our goal is to be what Jesus was, and that's to seek and save that which is lost. Our goal is to lift high the name of Jesus, to lift him up, because when we lift him up, he'll draw all men unto him. He doesn't need my help. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my defense. He doesn't need your defense. Who are you leaving behind? If you're a leader, you're type A, you're focused, this probably is very easy to do. Who are you leaving behind? Because Jesus loves that person. He cares about that person. He died for that person. The last thing we see him do in verse 2, he opened his mouth and he began to teach. He opened his mouth and he began to teach. Jesus was willing to give what he had. Jesus was about to, for the next two chapters, Matthew will record, he's about to tell them what he had. He was about to give them a message that he had. He took the ability, he took what he had, which is the ability to teach, and he was going to give them what he had. And my question to you, to me, is simply this. Are we giving what we have? You're not a teacher. Great. What are you? What's your gift mix? What's God gifted you to do? Are you giving what you have? Your time, your talent, your treasure. Are you giving what you have? Are you leveraging who you are? Not for me or even for the church, but for Jesus. What is it that God's given you the influence of? What platform has God given you? What door has he opened for you? What testimony has he given you? What redemptive story? We all have a story. Are you telling your story? And are you leveraging that to lift high the name of Jesus? Again, not about you, not about me, but about him. What are you doing with what you have? Some of you, you have lost family members. Have you ever sat down and just said, let me tell you what God has done in my life? No, because they wouldn't understand. They think I'm crazy. I go to that storefront church, but it's, it's all ripped up now. And Maybe that's what you have. Well, you know what, man? I just, I, I really don't know. I mean, I'm just, I just, you know, I'm at a busy point in my life. And, and right now, just to be able to serve my family and raise my kids and, and love my spouse, that's really what I'm able to do. Well, then that's not a small task. Just do that. Amen? God instituted the family before he ever instituted the church. See, Jesus sat down and he began to open up and he gave them what he had. And if you'll flip over to chapter 7, you see the end. You see the response of the people. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. It's the end of the message. We just started at the beginning. This is the end of the message. And this is the message transliteration. When Jesus concluded his address, his sermon, the crowd burst into applause. Boy, I would love if you'd burst into applause and I'd get done sometime. I'm just teasing. I'm just saying. It's every pastor's dream. Okay. Here's the reason why. Because they had never heard teaching like this. And again, everything he's saying, it's all biblically based. It's, it, this is the same thing that we're being taught in the synagogues and the rabbis. We're teaching this. But they had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent, here was the difference, that he was living everything he was saying quite in contrast to their religious teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. Why? Why? 
Well, John tells us, chapter 1, in the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That as they were hearing from Jesus that day, that He was not only teaching the Word, He was not only living the Word, but according to John chapter 1, He was and is and forever will be the Word. And there's something that happens when we don't just talk something, but we live something. When we don't just say something, but we demonstrate something. When we live life in such a way that our words almost become silent because our actions speak so loud. When people look at your life, because we're all doing life, are you doing life like Jesus? That's the question. Am I really following the example of Jesus? Do I see people and believe in them? Or do I just write them off? Do I take people to another level? Or do I just leave them behind? Do I take people to a higher level? When, when I'm around, because everybody, listen, everybody in this room, when you come into a room, you're either an upper or a downer. You either fill people's tanks or you are the one who drained them. Sorry, but you do. And everybody in the room knows it. You either walk into a room and go, hey, here I am. Or you walk in the room and you go, hey, there you are. And people don't like here I am people, but they love there you are people. Is it all about you or is it about Jesus? Because here's the reality. In my life and in your life, I'm either leading people upward or I'm leading people downward. I'm either leaving people positive or leaving them negative. I'm either pointing them to eternity with Jesus, to heaven, or to a hopelessness of eternity without God, which is hell. Where does your life lead? And are you following the example of Jesus? Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you, Lord, for those two simple verses. Lord, we get the Sermon on the Mount. God, help us that we don't always live it, but we, we, under, we read, listened, read books on, heard sermons on. But the way in which you set that up, really, before you communicate it, you lift it. And the Proof was in the pudding. The people's lives were changed. I just pray, Lord, help us to be like you, Jesus. Help me to be like you, Jesus. Less of me and more of you. God, this week, help me to believe in people. People that I, I may even have a struggle to believe if they're going to make it. To see something in them, to see them the way you do, Jesus. And to help them. God, to be uplifting to people that I'm around. Not to be a downer. Not to be someone that just sucks the oxygen out of the room. But someone that infuses it with life and with love and with grace. God, help us not to overlook the Teddy Stollards that you bring across our path. But let us be Jesus with skin on, 
to be a sermon in shoes, to be your hand extended. Because something happens in our lives when you, an infinite God, flows through us, a finite creature, to touch another finite create creature. Purpose, life is created in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.